the pandemic has brought all the institutional weaknesses to the fore that most countries knew about and were able to cheat through in normal times. The pandemic has required us to re-examine everything that we know about federalism. Issues of power division, fiscal federalism, intergovernmental regulation, all these have to be re-examined. Governments and the regions within government have reacted with lots of variation. The most apparent problem is lack of coordination. Going by India's experience, it's safe to say that only cooperative federalism is the way forward in dealing with such a pandemic. Cooperation not only vertically, but also horizontally. This is Forum Fedcast, Episode 8, COVID and Federalism, Taking the Temperature in 2022. Over the past two years, COVID-19 has upended life as we know it. Social distancing, mask wearing and travel restrictions have become part of everyday existence for millions of people around the world. The unprecedented economic, health and political impacts of COVID have left deep scars on affected societies, and the long-term consequences of the pandemic remain to be seen. COVID has been a moving target, constantly evolving and requiring different responses over time, and this has been complicated by the regular emergence of new variants and waves of infection. But, as new vaccines and treatments have been developed and rolled out, the focus has shifted in many countries from issues of overwhelmed hospitals and lockdown enforcement to discourse of economic recovery and the ongoing public health measures required to live with the virus. As the pandemic enters its third year, governments now face the difficult task of balancing the need to protect the health of their citizens with the need to also protect their livelihoods. In federal countries, national, subnational, and local levels of government will invariably play a role in future efforts to contain the spread and impact of COVID. To date, federations appear to have had a mixed record in terms of their effectiveness in controlling the virus. Global data indicates that federal countries have suffered both some of the highest and some of the lowest COVID deaths per capita of any countries in the world. But do these pure numbers tell us anything meaningful about how federal governance was affected by and reacted to COVID? As the pandemic begins yet another phase post-Omicron, what have we learned about the federalism dynamics of COVID-19 over the past two years? And what is still missing from our understanding of how federal countries have dealt with the crisis? In January 2022, the Forum of Federations convened an expert dialogue on these very subjects. Marking the launch of the Forum and International Association of Centers for Federal Studies, or IACFS, books on COVID and federalism, the discussion brought together international experts as well as contributing authors to explore the past, present, and future of the pandemic in federal countries. In this episode of Forum Fedcast, we present the highlights of the expert discussion. We'll now leave you in the very capable hands of the discussion moderator, Forum Vice President, Felix Nepling. Happy listening. With a group of very distinguished experts, and what we thought we would do is each of the experts will cover a set of questions looking uh, not just at the country they've written their the various chapters for the books about but more comparatively what happened in the region their country is based in 
we're aiming to covering the whole world and then trying to identify the gaps. So I would like to pose the first question to the group, which is from your perspective, what are some of the emerging federalism dynamics of COVID management in your region in relation to vaccine rollout, uh, reopening of the economy following the lockdown? And do these differ to those in the early stages of the response to the pandemic? So we'd like to start in the West with Laura. Thank you very much for inviting me to this uh, very challenging and interesting conversation regarding the Americas in my case. And uh, I would like to start saying that I'm going to concentrate mainly in Latin America because the dynamics of the North and South America are very different, although I'm going to talk about Mexico as well. So I'm roughly in the middle. Laura Flamon is a research professor and coordinator of the Network for the Study of Inequalities at El Colegio de México. I'll start trying to set the floor regarding how huge this problem of COVID has been for Latin American region. To start with, I would like to say three very short things regarding COVID management in general. The first is that we can pretty much say now that no country in the world was prepared for this, and we can, of course, discuss that. Second thing, it has been a very long pandemic, so pessimism has become dominant. Therefore, pretty much all over the world, we've seen decreasing approval rates for governments and for executives. And of course, other matters have come to the fore, and thus the pandemic, although extremely important still, has lost steam in the public attention. Things like elections in the Latin American region, inflation, that's globally, And for example, in Argentina and in other countries, the negotiation of the foreign debt has become also to the fore. Now, in terms of the region, Latin America has been badly hurt by COVID. I would say that it's probably, together with North America, the two worst hit regions in terms of excess mortality. We can take a look at Mexico and Brazil in particular, but also the U.S., Lockdown measures in Latin America were extremely strict. We can take examples of Argentina, Chile, Peru. Overall, the mobility in Latin America compared to North America was reduced 70%, which is huge. And the global economic heat was also terrible. In 2020, the GDP overall was reduced by 3%, roughly. In Latin America, GDP was reduced by 7%. So how can we explain this? There are at least three factors that I would like to stress. The first one is that the structure of the economy in Latin America, as you know, is mostly dominated. Roughly 60% of employment comes from the informal economy. The Latin American economies rely heavily on international tourism and what has been called contact service sector. So it was very difficult to keep the economy open at the very beginning, at least in 2020. The other factor that has influenced the very terrible performance of the Latin American region regarding COVID has to do with weak states, in particular weak social security or weak welfare system. We have very rarely universal social protection, not to say universal health. So that has created huge problems for the poor people in the region. And finally, the way in which the fiscal stimulus were constructed. Just to give you one piece of information, if we compare the lost output with the spending of the countries, in the US, for example, it was one by one. That is, 
$1 lost in output was compensated, kind of compensated, with $1 of spending. In the Latin American region, that was 28 cents of spending per $1 of lost output. So in reality, the Latin American governments have reacted very weakly to the huge problem imposed by COVID. In terms of federalism, I would like to mention only three things to start. Governments and the regions within governments have reacted with lots of variation. We've seen heterogeneity. The most apparent problem for me, in my opinion, is lack of coordination. We've seen confusing public messaging between different levels of government, especially regarding the use of masks, testing, and policy tools in use have been very diverse. And I'll come back to that in the next segment. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Laura. This was very insightful and concise. We're moving a bit towards the east. Eva Maria, over to you about the experience in Europe. Thank you very much, Felix. Hello, everyone. I think the responses to the coronavirus pandemic has thrown an unexpected spotlight on Europe's federations. I mean, federalism was rarely discussed in most federations. Countries like Austria and Germany and Switzerland only discussed federalism when there was a federalism reform on the table. It was mostly considered a dusty, outdated form of governance, sometimes cherished, but most often deplored for being slow and cumbersome. Eva Maria Belser is Professor and Chair of Constitutional and Administrative Law at the University of Fribourg. Now, all of a sudden, everyone is interested in federalism. Sharp increase in power-sharing systems. The mentioning of federalism in the Swiss media data bank has quadrupled between 2015 and 2019 and 2020. So in this regard, federalism and COVID-19, it's a great success story. It has helped people to better understand the system they live in and to all of a sudden care about the right mix of diversity and unity. Who decides, who implements, who pays, and why is that not always clear? The same debates have been very present and are still in numerous other federal systems of Europe, the quasi-federations, the regional states, and the devolved and the decentralized states, Italy, Spain, the UK, and the European Union itself. But even unitary states have discovered a new interest in regionalism and subsidiarity in actions and measures which are tailor-made and specific to regions, discussed and negotiated with regions, coordinated amongst regions, and have come up with territory-based traffic light approaches and the like. So proportionate action, lawful action, adopted to regional situations have been discussed all over Europe, basically no matter what the original organizational structure of the state was. But in this regard, federal systems have been in a definite advantage because in the regions, they were institutions and decision makers and law implementers ready to take over. So that would be my first point. My second would be that most European federal systems have not only gone through waves of infections, but also through waves of centralization and decentralization. Most have started to react to the pandemic on the local and regional level. And as it became clear that the pandemic was not to be contained locally, the reaction 
mostly a panic reaction was one of nationalization. Centralization internally, decentralization externally. So concentration of power in Europe's capitals. I think we still have to find out what that means for the future, whether it is weakening regionalization and Europeanization, or whether we will find a way back. Since, so this year, I think most European federal systems and the European Union have found a new equilibrium. In most countries, vaccine rollouts have been organized according to federal rules. Federal planning, regional fine-tuning, and regional implementation. Another federal dynamic in Europe, but I think it's a global one, is that we have newly learned the old lesson that money matters and it matters more than what the constitution says. If you're affluent enough to throw in money into the system and to ease the burden of a lockdown economy, you have to say. I think in most countries we have experienced that everything we know about fiscal federalism does not really work in a pandemic. And I think it will be extremely important to analyze this and to find a way back to more fiscal accountability and to a better match between competences, spendings, and duties. Economically, it seems that European countries can take it. Most are already in the process of recovering economically. Thank you very much, Eva Maria. So a nice contrast to Laura's intervention, different experiences here. Over to you, Samalak, Africa. Thanks so much. First, let me say, basically everybody expected the worst would happen in Africa when it comes to COVID, but relatively, it seems we've fared much better than the rest of the world. Zemelik Ayale is Associate Professor and Director of the Center for Federalism and Governance Studies at Addis Ababa University. The report indicates that there were some 10 million infections from about 1.2 billion people in Africa. And the death rate was some 250,000 in Africa compared to what was going on in the U.S. and other parts of the world. I think uh, it was much better, even though still regrettable. Of course, there are differences from countries to countries. South Africa was hit hard and the other countries fared much better. Why was this the case? Is something that requires its own study. But the economic impact of COVID in Africa still needs further study, but it was felt especially by the poorest of the poor. When it comes to the federal dynamic, the impact of COVID on federal countries in Africa, the countries that come to mind and also those which are covered in the studies uh, in the chapters in the book were Nigeria, Ethiopia, and South Africa. But we also consider Kenya to be part of those federal countries or quasi-federal countries. Somalia, South Sudan, Sudan to some extent are kind of either quasi-federal country or on the way to becoming federal countries, but they were not covered in the study. Now, of course, there is difference in design, in population, in economy, in political history of the federations. I mean, Nigeria, Ethiopia, and South Africa. But there were some similarities in the way that they dealt with COVID-19. And I call this uh, not a federal dynamic, rather unfederal dynamic, because they acted not in the way that a federal system is supposed to. There are two points to make here. First, 
the national governments or the federal government and subnational governments had some competence with respect to dealing with the pandemic in the form of declaring the state of emergency or exercising concurrent power between federal government and state government and the like. This was seen in all the three countries. The other issue was in the early stage of the pandemic, the reaction from the subnational governments were complete inaction and waiting for the national government to take charge. This might be because the pandemic was something imported and the federal government was in charge of controlling who can enter into a country and who can leave the country. At the later stage, when it comes to, for example, ordering lockdown or declaring state of emergency, again, the central government took charge and there was a lot of centralization of power. It was the case in South Africa and it was the case in Ethiopia and it was the case also in Nigeria. And later, when vaccination rollout started again, the central government took the lead. This might be because one thing, the vaccine was donated by foreign countries and it was the federal government who just negotiating those with international communities and subnational governments were basically unable to purchase vaccines. So it, again, it was the federal government which was in charge. So subnational governments, provincial state governments were implementers of the policies of the federal government. The last point was specifically about Ethiopia. It created opportunity for the federal system to come to life because there was disagreement between one of the state, the Tigray state and the federal government regarding whether or not a subnational government can hold its own election and whether or not the subnational government can declare a state of emergency and whether or not the federal government state of emergency would prevail over a state of emergency by a, a subnational unit. Those issues were not, however, debated in constitutional setting, but led to war. Thank you very much, Zemalek. We don't often hear this, I think, saying this from a Western perspective, that COVID hasn't hit Africa as hard as, as it has hit us. Thanks for stressing that, but I think it's an interesting point. Rekha, over to you. How was the experience in your region? Well, I think the federal dynamics, not just in India, but all over the world had to face and I would say still facing adverse challenges. And these challenges, I think, would define center-state relations in dealing with the pandemic efficiently. Rekha Saxena is Professor of Political Science at the University of Delhi. So in that context, in response to the onset of COVID-19, the central government in India implemented one of the most stringent lockdowns in the country, especially in the first phase. And this was done without consulting the constituent units of the Indian federal setup. And further, there were multiple pan-India directives concerning lockdowns in the first phase that encroached upon the jurisdictions of the states, like industry, shops and market, agriculture, state government offices, etc. Central, you know, directives after directives, they had to be stringently implemented by state governments. Now, once the economy opened after the first phase, interstate and intrastate trade and commerce, that was not much affected. Similarly, as far as the vaccine drive is concerned, the central government issued instructions to state governments to initiate a rollout after consulting the center. And there was expert committee, which was also set up 
on vaccine administration and states had to adhere to its directives. So I think such instances in the both first and also the very devastating second phase did appear uh, centralizing most of the times. But I would say it was essential to ensure some kind of uniform collaboration across the country to contain the pandemic. Moreover, at various levels of governance like district, city, village, many initiatives, models, and drives they were launched like Bhilwara model, Agra model, Kerala model, Dharvi model in Maharashtra, Mumbai, although in line with center's guidelines to fight this COVID-19 outbreak in the states. However, today I would say as India is currently undergoing the third wave of COVID-19, things uh, in my opinion appear more collaborative and cooperative in terms of the federal response to this situation. Because I think uh, the states have more leeway in implementing their own COVID-19 fight guidelines. And this is not just that in the line with the fact that health is a state subject in India. Uh, states are effectively carrying out vaccine drive very independently. And even concerning you know, shops, markets, they have greater autonomy to issue their own guidelines like opening of shops on rotational basis or no restrictions at all, or weekend curfews in some states. And also entry with regard to COVID negative report while crossing one state to another. Further, I would say additional autonomy has also been given in this phase, extended to the states in the third phase issued by the latest guidelines by allowing the states to decide about quarantine measures for international travelers. Thank you very much, Rekha. And to the group for sharing initial reflection on the experiences in your region. For more comparative analysis on the federalism dynamics of the pandemic, check out the forum's book, Federalism and the Response to COVID-19, A Comparative Analysis. You can read it for free online at routledge.com. See the link in the show notes to find out more. Delving a bit more into detail from your perspective, what were the factors that determined either the effectiveness or the ineffectiveness of federal governance or federalism in terms of response to the pandemic? Laura, over to you. Well, in the previous section, I stressed the fact of variety of responses, heterogeneous responses in the region. So just to illustrate that, I'll start talking about three countries. Argentina, which was pretty much a success at the very beginning, but then it became a failure. And Brazil and Mexico, which overall have shown a failed management of the COVID crisis. What I would like to stress is that in the Latin American region overall, what we've seen is an amplification of weak governments. Specifically, as you, as you well know, Latin America has the most unequal federations pretty much all over the world. In terms of GDP per capita, if we compare the GDP per capita of the regions within the countries and bureaucratic capabilities, I would like to point to three things that I think deserve attention trying to explain the overall inefficacy of the federal government in Latin America to face the COVID crisis. First one, it has to do with the federal architecture. What we've mentioned before, 
pretty much very centralized federations in Latin America, very weak in fiscal terms. The second factor has to do with the capacity of the different levels of government. And overall, we have countries in Latin America with low capacity, although there is variation across the regions within the countries, and specifically low capacity regarding essential services in the subnational governments. Things that have to do with health, with education, and with simple things like waste management. In terms of health, for example, we have very different resources available for testing, even to process testing. And we've seen overall a very specific group highly affected by the pandemic in Latin America and pretty much all over the world, which are females. So we're lacking gender perspective in their response to the COVID crisis overall. The third thing related to federalism has to do with the intergovernmental relations across the different levels of government. And I would like to stress failures in communication and lack of cooperation and, of course, lack of coordination. That overall is a trademark in the region. Also, at the very beginning, Argentina showed a different phase in terms of cooperation, being able to draw from the recent election of President Fernandez and his political capital and the political capital of his political party. I sense a, a lack of understanding of what cooperation means across subnational governments. Let me give you an example. In October last year, I had an interview with a high-ranking health official in the federal government, and I was talking to him about the lack of coordination, and he kept insisting, well, I was constantly on the phone with the governors. So, of course, there was cooperation. So he seemed to not understand what real institutional cooperation means. And just to give you an example of this, what we've seen in both Argentina and Mexico is very little influence of a policy of the health federal councils. So even though these figures are in place, pretty much they didn't pay any role in deciding the policy activities of the national governments. So in the Latin American region, without clear federal guidelines and standards to manage the crisis, I think the federal government lacked in that regard, state governments or subnational governments have reacted unevenly, deepening social inequalities. The result was that isolated decision-making, disconnected fluxes of information, and uncoordinated actions all deepened public uncertainty. Because relatively affluent subnational governments, subnational regions have more capable governments and more robust health systems, the populations have been protected more effectively than those of the poorest states or provinces. In the case of Mexico, for example, this may explain the much higher fatality rate in poorer municipalities than in richer ones. Thank you very much, Laura. Lack of coordination, lack of collaboration between the levels of government horizontally, vertically. Eva Maria, is this something you observed in your region as well? Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. But I find it hard to determine the factors determining effectiveness because it's so hard to decide what effectiveness really is. And I think it is important to keep in mind that most factors probably have nothing to do with the government structures, but density of population, situation of the health system, and a lot of factors which are not related to, to the government structure. 
overall, I think the pandemic has brought all the institutional weaknesses to the fore that most countries knew about and were able to cheat through in normal times. But in emergencies, all of a sudden, it no longer works. So I think few countries have discovered new weaknesses, but have just realized how much a problem the old war or like weak intergovernmental relations in Italy, unreasonably small units in Switzerland, a highly unitary system in Austria, a very divided federation in Bosnia. So I think most countries have realized that it's the time to do the homework that countries were postponing and now have come to the fore with a lot of urgency. I think preparation has made a big difference. Some countries had better constitutional and legal frameworks, had better institutions in place and processes to speed up decision-making. Some have been very unprepared, including practical issues is decision digitalization. Can you make joint decision when you cannot physically meet? In my country, most parliaments were absolutely not prepared. So members of parliament just went home and did homeworking and had no access to electronic decision making. So I think knowing better before who should make decisions and implement them when there is little time would have helped. And I think when you mentioned capacity of different levels, I think one of the lessons is that even though you're tempted to shift competences and duties around, you probably shouldn't do it too much. Because in times of stress, most individuals and institutions should do what they do best, and that is what they usually do. If all of a sudden central administrations take over in federations, usually they have little to do with health. The federal officials in my country have never seen hospitals from the inside, except as patients. Now, if all of a sudden they do health implementation, it goes very wrong. So I think a real factor of success is to increase the resilience of institutions you have. And if you have to centralize, bring those regional people to the center and don't charge of institutions with tasks they have never done before. Thank you very much, Stefania. Zemelik, over to you. I'm not sure if the countries were effective or ineffective in terms of dealing with COVID and uh, pandemic, but we can say that they were not effective in terms of dealing with COVID-19 as a federation, as, as, as countries with federal system. And we can give different reasons for that. The first, maybe with the federal architecture of the three countries, matters relating to health seem to be concurrent powers. And as is the case, for example, in South Africa, subnational government's decision or law can be superseded by laws or decision of the national government. So that, uh, I think, allowed the federal or the national government, and the case maybe, to take the lead in terms of dealing with COVID-19 and to undermine any effort coming from the subnational government. The other maybe lack of clarity in division of power, for example, that, that was the case in Nigeria. One of the issues was, is COVID-19 a natural disaster or is it health matter? If it is a natural disaster, 
it is a federal competence. If it is a health-related matter, then it is a state competence. And who has the competence to deal with COVID-19? That was, for example, an issue in Nigeria. The other, I think it is kind of a universal challenge. Eva Marie has also mentioned it, the financial dependency of subnational governments or national government. Since the federal government has the money, it was able to dictate what the subnational governments could do or should do. The other one, as I mentioned earlier, is the global nature of the pandemic itself. It is something imported from other countries and the gatekeeper is the federal government. So the subnational governments were just waiting for it to take the lead in terms of preventing the pandemic from entering into the country. So their role was supposed to be only after the virus was introduced in the, in the countries. Incompetence and corruption, of course, was a reason for some ineffectiveness. For example, the incompetence in Eastern Cape in South Africa, that led to a disaster in that part of the country, even allowing the virus to spread in the rural areas. The other issue may be the absence of federal culture. For example, in Ethiopia, I think that is the case. Despite the fact that we have a federal system, a federal constitution, we have been governed like a unitary state. We didn't have a federal culture. So that didn't allow us, I think, to deal with coronavirus as a federation. The last two points are sidelining IGR forums. That has been the case in, in South Africa, for example. The National Coronavirus Command Council, which is established at the national level, was taking charge of everything, and it was sidelining the provinces. Also in Nigeria, the National Emergency Management Agency, which was exclusively composed of federal ministries and agencies, was uh, dealing with the virus without involving the states. In Ethiopia, there was not even IGR structure to speak of in the first place. So these are some of the issues or the, the, the factors that led the countries not being able to deal with the virus as a federal government, as a federal country. Thank you, Zamalek. Surely some issues that we've also seen in other parts of the world. Rekha. I would say that going by India's experience, it's safe to say that only cooperative federalism is the way forward in dealing with such a pandemic. And cooperation, not only vertically, but also horizontally, not just between center and state, but also between state and state. Hence, I would say that multi-level federal COVID-19 management model and its efficacious implementation, that's the best response to this pandemic. Further, I would say frequent federal dialogue, that is very essential to strengthen cooperation periodic dialogues between center and state and state and state that is very much needed to boost health sector in the country uniformly. And this executive federalism has been at its best during this pandemic period, especially in India, especially through video conferences that Prime Minister held with chief ministers of different states and left-hand governors of union territories in all the three phases. Of course, there has been centralizing trends. As I mentioned in the first phase, and then they were relaxed in the second phase and the third phase. Furthermore, I would say that any federal response need to realize that without health sector strength and efficiency, we cannot overcome this pandemic. There has to be more budget for health in the next budget, education and health. That should be the primary responsibility of the public sector. So I think that now the Indian state has realized that after the pandemic situation. Besides, I would say that most important factor in this regard is also concerning fiscal federalism. 
undoubtedly this pandemic has taken a severe toll upon the economies of the nation but within the federal system particularly in context of india state governments they have enormously suffered economically with continuous fall in their gross state domestic product due to the centralized restrictions which were made on interstate and intrastate trade therefore i think it's the responsibility of the center to timely release disaster response funds to states and also relax norms relating to borrowing from center and this should be unconditional and timely release of goods and services tax compensations to states because there was bad tax collection and so the borrowing limits of the states have been increased from 3% to 5% of their gdp but only 0.5 is unconditional whereas the rest of the borrowing is depending on states initiatives in introducing reforms in areas such as power sector urban development job creation etc so states capability to borrow should be unconditionally strengthened and finally i would say that there's also a need to have regular conduct of gst council meetings which is an important intergovernmental forum which represents the states also and also make uh, use of constitutional forums like interstate council which has not been done and both center states they have been making use of informal forums like chief ministers conferences and conferences with ministers secretaries so why not make use of constitutional forum like interstate council so that should be the way forward thank you very much raka The IACFS's comparative volume on COVID-19 and federalism, titled Comparative Federalism and COVID-19 Combating the Pandemic, is also available to read for free at routledge.com. You'll find the link to the book in the show notes. Now, after this tour d'horizon about experiences and lessons, in terms of the gaps from your perspective where should we go forward in terms of generating more knowledge or going a bit deeper in terms of the issues you've identified that helped or did not help in terms of pandemic response and how federalism played a role there laura i'll be very brief and i would like to point to four things The first one of course has to do with we need to learn more about coordination how to strengthen the mechanisms of negotiation federal affairs i think that's very important the second thing is how to strengthen and to find out more about bureaucratic capabilities in several latin american countries we either don't have a civil service or we have very weak civil services both at the national and subnational levels So that's something important to study bureaucratic capabilities that's the second thing. The third thing has to do with the judiciary, the judicial power and how it has become the referee between national and subnational government in several countries. One example is Brazil and these disputes that are brought to the fore in the courts bring uncertainty to the process because of course all judges have to interpret the law in an environment in which information is not clear so going to the judiciary may add uncertainty and we need to to learn more about that finally 
I think it's very important, and that applies not only to federal studies, but to science as a whole. We need to prepare for the next pandemics. So we have to talk about the fiscal weakness of national and subnational governments. Things as simple as purchasing supplies became a big issue in several countries, in the US, in Mexico, in Argentina. It wasn't clear who was supposed to purchase supplies, such as testing or even masks at the very beginning. And that had an influence in the directives of the federal governments. Recently in the US, Dr. Fauci recognized that the idea of using any kind of masks is good at the very beginning had to do with not having enough masks overall. So I would point to those four things, coordination, bureaucratic capabilities, the judiciary, and pandemic preparation. Thank you very much, Laura. Eva Maria, if you had a huge grant for federalism research, what would you look at? I keep applying for such grants. In a way, I would just describe to Laura's list. I fully agree. I think federalism under pressure, federalism in times of crisis, we don't know how to do it yet. And we better use the lessons we've been able to make to prepare for next crisis. I think most of the systems we have, they have rules on emergencies. They know who can declare it and who can decide. But I think none of the countries is prepared to deal with such a long and all-encompassing crisis, which is not a health crisis, but it's general governance, economic, societal crisis. So most countries would have in such situations concurrency, and we know how to deal with concurrency in normal times, but we cannot do a concurrency under stress because it relies on a system where you have shared rule that you design jointly. Your second chamber comes in and consultation comes and then regions or provinces can come in with fine tuning and complementary rules. Now, all of this doesn't work in a pandemic. So concurrency has to be redesigned for stress situations. And I think we also need rules to deal with negative conflicts. At least in my country, that was a new discovery. You know how to deal with two actors both wanting to act in conflicting ways. Now we had a situation where none of the levels wanted to issue lockdowns or any other costly measures, hoping for the other to act. So we have lost precious time. Another big field of upcoming research is, or coming back, is the federalism and federalism and democracy, federalism and the rule of law and federalism and human rights. Because I think we have underestimated how much it does to other constitutional value when we start fiddling around with competencies. If all of a sudden you have centralization, you miss an important element of your checks and balances. If power goes to the national government and parliament loses influence, so do the subnational units represented in the second chamber. Human rights, I think, are central. Restrictions, we all know, according to national constitutions, international law must be strictly limited to what is necessary. Now, usually we think in terms of content and time, but we must get used to think about territory as well. Probably need more territorial flexibility in all states 
to meet human rights requirements. And I think that is a new field that we should tackle as researchers. My last point, and it's the one closest to my heart, is global federalism, global governance, because it has been such a frustrating experience to see how selfish nations become, and we still see that. If you can talk about vaccine rollouts, but some countries don't talk booster, they're talking about the fourth jab, while in other countries, access to vaccine is still limited. Now, I just find it extremely shameful that a globalizing world is not even able to manage such a fundamental issue where we know we all depend on each other and deeply are interconnected. We cannot coordinate such basic issues. And I think federal tools would very easily be applicable to global governance. Thank you very much from this bottom-up approach, starting with a rather smaller entities in Switzerland and leading us to the global situation, if I'm Samalek. I think the most important points have been touched by Eva Maria and Laura. I don't know if I have anything much to add, but my understanding is that the pandemic has kind of required us to re-examine everything that we know about federalism. Issues of power division, issues of fiscal federalism, issues of intergovernmental relations, all these have to be re-examined with pandemics and other disasters in mind. And the other issue, which, which is very close uh, to my heart, and an issue that Eva Maria raised is federalism and democracy. That is something that's direct impact here in my country, and that is basically what led to war here. We have to re-examine especially federalism, democracy in a state of emergency, in case of pandemics, issues of postponement of election or issues like that needs to be examined. Thank you very much, Zanalek. Rekha. Many important issues have already been discussed by my co-panelists, but I would add to it issues like impact of pandemic on gender and federal response to it. and executive federalism, as pointed out by Laura, strengthening executive federalism and uh, intergovernmental coordination, judicial federalism, fiscal federalism in context of the pandemic will only add to the depth of the existing knowledge we have on federalism. As we all know that in 2020 in Australia was one of the federal countries that enacted a new legislation to tackle with the pandemic. In India, the federal response was guided by the already existing laws like Disaster Management Act, Epidemic Disease Act, 1897, then Drugs and Cosmetic Act. So I think research can be carried out, finding possibilities to enact new laws at both you know, central and state level in dealing with the virus outbreak. Furthermore, I think inquiry over the role of judiciary in ensuring cohesive federal response to the after effects of the pandemic that can also be undertaken. Because for example, in 2020, the Supreme Court of India had to intervene in order to tell both the center and the states to ensure safety of the migrant workers, uh, the plight of the migrant workers walking long distances and they had to leave the cities. Similarly, I would say that in order to deal with COVID-induced after effects, 
it is also essential to have an inquiry about in what ways fiscal relationship between center and the states can be redefined with respect to unconditional fund transfer adequate allocation etc and prospectively a new dimension can be added in federal framework and that is concerning vaccine and vaccine rollout in time of pandemic or epidemic for example in case of india drugs and cosmetics act 1940 that empowered the center to facilitate regulation of sale manufacture and distribution of any essential drug to deal with any emergency situation arising due to an epidemic so how that affects the federal cooperation and collaboration thank you very much rekha i wanted to take the opportunity as the discussion facilitator to follow up on a point that if amaria you made on the renewed or strengthened interest in federalism as such that we can observe and the flexibility that federalism has allowed in the response to the pandemic and the advantages it may have in comparison to unitary states and i was just wondering do we actually know we're discussing of course here amongst those who promote federalism and work on federalism all the time but do we really know whether federal countries actually performed better in terms of the crisis be it in the health sector or be it in the area of economic relief if you read the book that we've edited which included one chapter written by David Cameron that compared the performance of federal country versus unitary countries according to a series of indices one of his preliminary conclusions was actually that governance probably doesn't really matter because some of the best performing countries were federal countries but there were also unitary countries and some of the worst were federal countries as there were unitary countries so are we actually sure that federalism really matters i mean that's a very basic and fundamental question but it's something that i think we discussed also internally as a group of editors who commissioned all these country papers when we reviewed them is that this is is a question that where the response probably still stands out we're maybe able to identify the opportunities or the advantages that some variation of federalism provides compared to others and the disadvantages and even that is already challenging we know that we're not comparing apples to apples i mean each country chapter and each each comparative book starts by pointing out and recognizing that all countries of course are unique and have their own federal structure so already that is challenging to compare but we're kind of intrigued by that as the form of federations and that question is it possible to actually answer that question and what would be the approach one would take because as we also discussed there's so many other factors we would have to look at political leadership the economic background the federal culture the constitutional framework if Maria, you you mentioned the demography which you know may play a role in africa because it's a younger society so so many factors we need to take a look at 
Though there could be many factors that impact the response of federal and unitary countries, federal countries have shown a high degree of flexibility in response mechanisms over the course of the pandemic. So, if we can identify trends in how federal countries have responded to COVID-19 and in how the crisis has affected federalism dynamics more broadly, what does this mean moving forward? Can the experiences of federations in Latin America, Europe, Africa, and Asia over the past two years Tell us anything about what is happening now or might happen in the future. Just on the emerging federal dynamics, uh, what we also hear, I think there is a real fundamental change taking place in the pandemic, a number of factors. Nico Staitler is South African Research Chair in Multilevel Government at the University of the Western Cape. We've got a new variant, Omicron, more infectious, but less lethal, less severe which also allows people to rethink of how we're going to live with COVID, that it is going to be part and parcel of our lives. And that goes into the second factor is this high level of public tiredness about COVID, the attempt to lead normal life, desire for normality. Because we've now into vaccinations and whole debates is now consumed about controlling access to public and even private institutions with vaccination or not. And so there, I think, with more knowledge, less fear, I think rational choices are going to be made much better. If the difference is between what happened in the first year and what happened in the second year, we see, I think, much greater mixture of approaches. Severe lockdowns in Europe and Australia in wave after wave, more and more lockdowns. While it didn't happen in Africa, North and South America, and India. So a real difference there between approaches and whether the lockdown was in fact the way to go. But we also seen then over the past two years, this waves of lockdowns, but the role of subnational governments. How in fact it changed and brought them to the fore and then again put it to the background, and we have a very fluid system to tell. What can we tell now definitively? I think it's difficult because we are still in it, and so the full picture is still to be emerged. But what also happened, I think, was at the beginning an acceptance by the public of government knows best, We've got a much greater public awareness and demanding accountability. And this brings forward governance. One rules apply to all. Even if you're the greatest tennis star in the world, you follow the rules in Australia, which is accountability, which I think is because people could understand and experience this pandemic and the rules that were made under it. Your second question, I think, provoked very interesting answers and comments by our panelists. How effective was federalism? And is it the correct question to ask whether it was better or worse? And I started off the volume with IACFIS with the question, is federalism a boon or a bane? And in the end, it was a too simplistic question. It is not going to be answered. But what we can see is that, to my knowledge, Federalism wasn't seen as the scapegoat, and in many cases, it showed real value. It became a check and balance in the U.S., in Brazil, and even in Mexico, 
where there was in fact the subnational government coming to the fore as a check on wayward federal governments. And it has also boosted federalism as a way of governing well. In Scotland, the first minister Sturgeon came out much better than a counterpart, Mr. Johnson, as strength notion of we can go it alone because we are able to do so. But what it did also show is serious flaws in federal systems. And it's a question of not saying this is federalism, it's the problem, conceptual, even constitutional, but how they operated as a system. And I think more emphasis should be placed on the soft side of federalism, the dynamics of it, as opposed to institutional design. In the book on COVID and comparative federalism, I tried to develop this notion of the comorbidities in federal systems, where the system itself fails to provide. And we see it lack of clarity in division of powers, the lack of cooperation. It's a theme that has gone through, but so vital in many countries that, in fact, it's a serious comorbidity. The other element clearly is also capacity. COVID, they really put the spot on who can deal with this multifaceted COVID pandemic. If we look at future research, what do we make about it? This is not the first and last pandemic or crisis in governance. We were shocked because it was so long in duration, so severe, the consequences were severe, but I said, next one could be climate change. And so this really forces the academic community to seriously look at what can we learn. But then one must emphasize there's an urgency to research. Secondly is we have not seen the end of COVID. We're still really in, in the beginning stages of finding out what has been the impact on the economy, on social life, and our governance plays into it. And then, of course, we'll have to look seriously at the comorbidities that existed in a number of federations. Look at those where there were health factors that were good. Why is that? Is it political culture? Is it federal culture? Is it greater public democracy? What made that some federations function better? Were there serious comorbidities in others? The other point I would think that we should research is that all levels of government were involved in the battle against COVID, not only the federal and state level, but also local government. Though they were not making policies, they were the institutions that looked after the vulnerable that were falling through the cracks. And one should, in fact, pay attention to those and to see also in the future when there's another different pandemic or crisis, how do you govern collectively, collaboratively at all three levels? So in conclude on that is to say that federalism is not seen as the scapegoat. It has a lot of positive aspects. It has also focused people's attention in many countries about the ability to differentiate and deal proportionately with measures which entail territorial divisions, devolution of powers. So I think in the end, my view is that federalism may have come out stronger than before.
last point is about the inequality in countries, how that affected people with COVID, South America, Africa, we compete for the most unequal societies. And then on the global picture, we see exactly the same. How come that there isn't a much more global view, global federalism? There was the beginning stirrings of in G7 and other bodies, but how do you distribute vaccines across? How can you make a much more globalized way of dealing with pandemics in the future? That was Forum Fedcast. Huge thanks to our guests, Lara Flamond, Eva Maria Belsa, Zemalek Ayele, Rika Saxena, and Nico Stadler. Federalism and the Response to COVID-19, a Comparative Analysis, and Comparative Federalism and COVID-19, Combating the Pandemic, are both available to download for free at Routledge.com. For more on the Forum's work on COVID and federalism, check out our website at forumfed.org. For the previous episodes of this podcast on COVID and federalism, just search for Forum Fedcasts Episodes 1 and 2 on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or Podbean. You can also find us on Twitter at ForumFed and as Forum of Federation on Facebook and YouTube. We want to hear from you. Send your thoughts on federalism and COVID to podcast at forumfed.org. That's podcast at forumfed.org. Get in touch and tell us what we missed and let us know what subjects you would like to hear covered on future episodes. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and give us a positive review on your platform of choice. This episode was written and hosted by Jamie Thomas and me, Liam Whittington. It was produced by Liam Whittington with production support from Jamie Thomas. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time on Forum Fedcast.